Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Marco Iacchini, and I'm an investment strategist at Standard Chartered Bank. We are recording this podcast on Monday, the 14th of December, and we have just released our annual market outlook titled Vaccinating Against Valuation. In our conversation today, we will discuss the core elements of our outlook for 2021 and their implications for the economy and financial markets. Overall, we believe that the rapid development of the COVID-19 vaccines suggests that 2021 is likely to be a better year than 2020, from both a humanitarian and a financial market perspective. To help us uncover the drivers behind our views today, I have with me three members of my team. Steve Bryce, Chief Investment Strategist, Manpreet Gill, Head of Fixed Income, Currency and Commodities, and Audrey Goh, our Senior Cross-Asset Strategist. Let's start with you, Steve. Um, What a year 2020 has been. What are your key takeaways and what can investors expect from 2021? Well, I suppose if I was to describe 2020 with one word, it it would definitely be unprecedented. I know it feels like that's an overused word in some regards, but certainly 2020 fits into that category. Um, The global pandemic actually wasn't truly a black swan event. That's something that was defined as something that was totally off the radar and nobody was thinking it's possible. And if you look at the World Economic Forum's global risk report from January of this year, it did have infectious diseases on its risk map although it did only rank 28 out of 30 in terms of probability. Um, but clearly it was a very defining event and something that we'll, um, you know, we'll be dealing with the aftermath of this, uh, of the pandemic for many years to come. Um, however, if we look looking forward, given time we will heal, economies are already recovering, uh, albeit more gradually, of course, than we would like them to, um, but they are recovering nonetheless. As far as investors are concerned, our 2021 theme, as you mentioned, is vaccinating against valuations. Um, It's clear that valuations are a concern for many investors, but we expect fundamentals to play catch-up with these valuations over the next 12 months. Um, In terms of things to watch out for, uh, we believe there's five factors that will be key to uh, determine the outlook going forward. So, and these are firstly and most importantly uh, the vaccine distribution, so how effectively the vaccine can be distributed around developed markets and obviously emerging markets as well. Secondly, fiscal and monetary policies. Thirdly, U.S. bond yields. Uh, fourth, the, the, the outlook for the U.S. dollar. And finally, uh, the value versus growth debate and how that plays out. We've seen some signs of a change towards value. Uh, will that be sustained uh, in 2021. So if we, if we look at the near future, obviously things won't go totally smoothly, so there will be some hiccups along the way. Um, but overall, we see positive elements on most fronts, which should be supportive for asset class returns in 2021. Thank you, Steve. Uh, indeed, indeed, it has been a tumultuous year, and uh, we look forward to better times ahead. Now, you touched on some of the core elements of our investment strategy for 2021. Um, would you kindly elaborate more on uh, on these and how you see them driving markets next year? Okay, so maybe I'll take each of the five factors in turn and, and how that might define the investment outlook in a post-COVID uh, environment. So firstly, in terms of vaccine distribution and effectiveness, uh, this is undoubtedly the most important and we see room for optimism despite that likelihood that we'll see some hiccups along the way. 
So high vaccine effectiveness and strong policymaker intent to distribute vaccines as quickly as possible uh, give us reason to be optimistic. Obviously, markets are pricing in um, a relatively smooth um, uh, process, so there's always potential that we'll see a little bit of volatility along the way. Um, but we do expect this to be temporary and indeed we see volatility over the course of the next 12 months actually falling on, on average. Secondly, in terms of policy decisions, um, we expect both uh, fiscal and monetary policy in major economies to remain very supportive. Um, obviously, there's some uncertainty around the outlook for U.S. fiscal policy, especially following the election, uh, where you know, it looks likely at this stage that we'll get um, you know, the, the Congress being split between Democrat um, in, in the House and then you know, a, a, a slight majority for the Republicans in, in the Senate. Um, so that might slow or reduce the size of fiscal stimulus. But overall, we see um, loose monetary and fiscal policy um, supporting the economy and helping tide over the early part of 2021 uh, before widespread vaccination allows economic accelerate to accelerate on its own two feet. Um, in terms of the third point, the direction of U.S. bond yields. Um, so we do expect slightly higher Treasury yields or government bond yields in the U.S., um, but we think that's not going to be too dramatic. And if anything, real um, yields, so yields, um, le less inflation, are likely to be largely range-bound, and that should support equity and income asset valuations in 2021. The fourth point is obviously the outlook for the dollar. We continue to expect the dollar to weaken. So we've seen the dollar break down a little bit towards the end of this year, break through key support, and we expect that to extend into 2021. Um, this is really important, not just because, you know, generally non-U.S. assets do better um, when the dollar is weakening, um, but also asset class returns in general are actually higher when the dollar is weakening than, than when the dollar is stable or, or strengthening. So that should be a, a decent tailwind if we're right uh, for, for, for investors in 2021. And the final and most contentious point, I think, is that this um, value versus growth um, uh, potential equity rota or equ rotation uh, between these two styles. Um, so we've seen, um, you know, for the last 10 years, and that's actually accelerated in the past 12 months until the last uh, six weeks or so, where value has massively underperformed growth and quality. Um, you know, we, we are expecting that to reverse somewhat in 2021. Uh, normally, when growth accelerates strongly, that's good for value, the value style. And so cheap um, as, uh, equities, such as in this case, industrials and financials and, and healthcare may do well. Um, and, and that could lead to some outperformance relative to growth equities in 2021. One thing that could contain this to some extent, though, is that, that fact that we don't see bond yields rallying very strongly. If the bond yield did go up sharply, that again would support um, value equities due to the high tilt um, towards financials and banks. Um, but the fact that we see bond yields being relatively constant or, or only going up marginally means that maybe that's a, a little bit of constraint to how much value can outperform in 2020. So on, on balance, we believe these five factors are likely to be supportive of risk assets through, through the next 12 months. Uh, at, the, at the broad level, drives our uh, preference for equities and credit, uh, so corporate bonds and emerging market bonds, which we expect to outform government bonds and cash. Uh, we also believe that income-generating assets will perform well in, uh, in the next 12 months. Just one thing we should you know, highlight that we've come a little less 
positive on, and that's gold. Uh, we remain moderately bullish, but we scale back our positioning to a more neutral stance when it comes to asset allocation. Um, obviously, there's a tailwind of dollar weakness, assuming we're right. Um, but this outlook for range-bound real yields means that gains may not be sufficient um, for gold to outperform equities and credits over the next 12 months. So we've brought that down to a neutral weight from an overweight position previously. Great. Thank you, Steve. Now, uh, moving on to Manpreet, uh, based on the summary that Steve just laid out for us, what investment strategies do we believe will perform well in this environment? Hi, Marco. Um, well, based on, on, on that sort of backdrop, uh, we believe there are three broad strategies that will perform well in 2021. The first is a multi-asset income strategy. So our expectations of largely contained bond yields, uh, particularly in net of inflation terms, mean the search for yield is likely to continue. Uh, this should extend significant support for income-generating assets, uh, though strategies that seek to sell volatility for income will likely need to be increasingly nimble to take advantage of uh, what we think will be short-lived spikes in volatility as volatility itself trends lower amid a bullish equity market. Second, of course, from an equity-style perspective, uh, Steve already described the, how we expect value equities to start to outperform growth and quality. Um, so this rising preference of value is reflected in our regional equity preferences, so raising exposure to the euro area in Japan, even while we retain the U.S. as preferred, but also in our sector preferences, where we raise our exposure to financials, even while we retain technology as preferred. Third, um, our expectation of weaker dollar means uh, we're positive on emerging market assets. So in equities, this reflects our preference for Asia-Japan, while in bonds, this does reflect our preference for Asia-dollar bonds, uh, as well as EM government bonds, both U.S. dollar uh, as well as local currency. Thank you, Manpreet. Now, this sounds all quite positive, actually, So, um, and even more so when we compare it to the unexpected negative surprises of 2020. What does the team think may go wrong with our views? Uh, what are the risks that lurk out there for market participants? Well, that's a good point. And, and look, the risks are something we as a team spend a significant amount of time debating. Um, I, I'd say at a broad level, it's quite tempting to conclude that a COVID-19 vaccine is unequivocally positive for growth and risky assets. Um, but specifically, we're, we're also keeping a tight eye on three specific risks as we go through 2021 to assess whether our baseline uh, view holds or, or not. The first is the risk of a policy accident. So, in other words, tightening of monetary or fiscal policy a little bit too early, uh, that could derail the economic recovery before it becomes sustainable. Now, policymakers are likely conscious of the lessons learned uh, over the past few decades, but reality is that, uh, you know, the risk of a misstep uh, does exist. Uh, second, we would pay attention to any uh, hiccups around the vaccine distribution process, uh, especially that because that risk disappointing markets relative to what might be a lofty expectation. Um, and, of course, you know, while the probability might be low, we wouldn't, you know, we would point out that the risk of an unexpected virus mutation is not completely eliminated either. Um, and third, of course, the ever-present geopolitical risks, uh, particularly U.S.-China and U.S.-Iran tensions, uh, which could create the risk of an air pocket and risky assets if tensions rise uh, significantly. Um, in particular, uh, while we do think that a Biden administration in the U.S. Uh, may resume more traditional diplomatic methods uh, when negotiating with China, uh, it's quite unlikely that we'll see any significant change in overall stance uh, from the U.S. government on that relationship. Thank you, Manpreet. Now, let's move on to Audrey. Um, 
earlier Steve mentioned the or talked about the near-term drivers for markets, but the team has also taken a look at longer-term structural themes, um, which will affect us going forward. These are climate change, innovation, and what the team has coined as yield-free risk environment. Uh, what can you tell us about these, Audrey? Hi, Marco. COVID-19 has basically changed the way people live, work, and play. Um, it has accelerated investments in innovation as people and companies adapt to some of the permanent changes brought about by COVID-19. For example, we have seen a surge in the penetration of medical e-consultations relative to physical doctor visits. Um, businesses have also adopted the use of sensors using 5G technology to facilitate better supply chain management and to reduce downtime in their factories. We expect the next wave of innovation to be in the medical technology, Internet of Things, or in short, LOT, and breakthroughs in e-vehicles, batteries, and engine technologies. Governments are also using the disruption caused by COVID-19 to accelerate decarbonization of their economies, including plans to end sales of vehicles with internal combustion engines. Now, when looking at investments, we believe that clients would benefit from exposure to these innovation themes focusing on medical, 5G, and technology-related innovations. The other big elephant in the room is on climate change. Many factors support the current momentum behind climate change. For example, we saw very strong government commitments, um, changing consumer expectations to more concern for climate change, uh, increased biogenetic awareness of diseases, as well as really ambitious climate pledges from uh, large corporations are among the many positive factors uh, that is in support for this theme. We know this has been a trend recently, but why should we care more now, you may ask? The reason lies in the fact that public as well as private sector commitments in this area calls for large investments to combat climate change. If you look at the combined future spend of the three largest economic regions, uh, the US, China, as well as Europe, they counted trillions of US dollars in the coming decade alone just to combat climate change. When looking at investment opportunities in this area, we highlight four of our top themes in the environment space in 2021. The first is energy transition, where we see a shift towards renewables and electrification. Second, it is about the circular economy, which is based on the principle of designing out waste and regenerating natural systems. Third, sustainable food, which is a shift towards plant-based meat as well as animal alternatives. And finally, water-related infrastructure and technologies on the back of water scarcity, which is one of the largest global risks in terms of potential impact in the coming decade, especially in emerging economies. We would like to encourage all our listeners to read more about these themes directly in our publication. Thank you, Audrey. Those are indeed very exciting themes going forward. Now, lastly, let's finish off uh, with your view on this yield-free risk. This is a play on words that, um, from what we more commonly refer to as risk-free yield. So what does the team mean by this phrase, and uh, where can investors expect to gain the returns over the next decade? Well, indeed, this is a play on words, and it is intentional. Government bonds are risk-free, as we all know it. However, at zero or even negative yields in many parts of the developed world, their ability to provide a significant buffer against short sell-off in risk assets is slightly reduced, unless, of course, yields become more negative than it is today, which we believe is unrealistic. In fact, 
Ensuring downside protection and generating adequate return is becoming more challenging for investors against the spectrum of low uh, bond yields environments. Valuations for both equities and bonds are at a higher starting point today, likely resulting in lower long-term uh, five to seven years return going forward. To achieve higher returns, one approach investors can consider is to move further along the risk curve, taking on more risk to get higher returns. Investors can also consider using leverage as a tool to enhance their returns, though that would come with a different set of risks such as a greater volatility to your allocation and the potential for margin costs. And finally, investors may also want to consider expanding the opportunity set to include alternative assets such as hedge funds or private investments to access other returns and diversification opportunities. Wonderful. Thank you, Audrey, and also thank you, Steve and Manpreet, for taking part in today's conversation. This concludes our discussion on the 2021 outlook, vaccinating against valuations. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.